Debs, are you there? I'm here. Morning. Wonderful. Good to have you on. I'm just going to do a little intro and then we are going to crack on. Sounds good. Greetings from the Simon Schmidt podcast. It's been a while. I know. It's been a while. I've been on a much needed, very long break. So this last couple of days, I felt inspired to create some different types of work and start doing some work that I used to do, hence the podcast. And I reached out to my social media community and connected with them and asked them what they would love me to speak about, if they would like to share some insights or be be interviewed. And to say that the response was overwhelming is an understatement. So I had a variety of ideas, one of them being around dealing with trauma, some of them dealing around moving on from a negative relationship. But today we have Debbie on our podcast. Hi, Debs. Hi. Hi, Simon. Hi. Hi, everyone (laughs) who will be listening to this podcast. Well, it's so wonderful to have you on here. And uh, a little bit of a backstory. Debbie, I've known for a very, very long time, even though we're only 28, eh, Debs? We're only 28, always 28, Simon. 28 for life. Yeah, absolutely. Deb's connected with me and wanted to share just some stuff about her journey and how she's managed to get a different perspective about life. And um, she's got quite an interesting story. And, um, yeah, I just thought it would be wonderful to choose you as the first podcast to restart the the podcast, which might happen weekly, bi-weekly, we'll just see how it unfolds. But um, Debs, as with all things, I think it's important to introduce yourself and just where did it start for you? Great. Thanks, Simon. It's an honor to be the first on this uh, this next chapter of your podcast um, series. Um, yeah, I mean, Simon, as we've discussed, I guess you and I know um, a bit of bit of my background story. There's, there's a variety of different things I could speak about. But I think one of the biggest things and challenges that I've experienced over sort of three and a half years is actually as a parent, um, and I, um, it was two, two big things that I've had to overcome. And one of the journeys we're, we're still on um, as, as it goes. But it's every parent's worst fear, I think, to either um, have a dangerous sort of high-risk pregnancy where the risks are incredibly high for both mother and child, um, which is something that I experienced. And then six weeks after uh, my little one was born and we had just overcome that um, he was diagnosed with a very rare condition, which is again, another parent's sort of worst fear is that you just unravel this whole world of like, you know, your head spins in in a thousand different ways when when you hear those words. Um, So it's just really how I, I just want to share my story on how I've managed to overcome both of those things. um, Because the more I talk about it and the more I have opened up about it, the more I realize, you know, it, it's helping other people. So Amazing. I'm super, super ha- um, happy to be here today to sort of dive into that. Well, Debs, I think first and foremost, uh, I just want to celebrate your vulnerability and thank you for choosing me and this platform to be able to share this. It takes a, a huge amount of courage and uh, vulnerability to to put yourself out there and be open and share your insights and 
not be scared to be judged or be looked down on or be whatever that may be. And a lot of people live in that fear and don't have the courage to step forward and share a story. So well done to you. <laughs> Thanks. <sir. laughs> what, what would you say was, you know, your biggest, biggest fear of the future with having, with having young William not being very well? You know, it's a really, that's such a good question because I think um, as any parent will know or any, anybody, you know, looking forward to becoming a parent, um, you know, when you have this new little baby, you just want to soak up every single moment of that time when they're little, you don't want to have to worry about, I mean, you worry anyway, don't you? Even with a perfectly healthy child, you still worry, um, are, you know, are they, are they eating enough? Are they sleeping enough? You know, all the normal things that a parent goes through given that news um was being upset about it that it would affect my outlook for William's life and it would affect my enjoyment of spending time with my baby and watching him grow and go through all the development milestones with this condition and I'll just kind of take a step back um it's called sagittal craniosynostosis which means that one of the fuses or can sometimes be more than one fuse when a baby's born and is open and hasn't fused yet which allows time for the brain to grow and expand um, and as we grow and develop that fuses whilst when the brain is kind of at its full, full growth um, and William was born with this fuse which meant that there was high risk of him developing pressure on the brain which is life-threatening um, but not only that that pressure can also cause a lot of complications mm. it can cause a lot of development delays um, speech delays uh, mobility delays um, behavioral issues uh, there's a whole host of things that you get given this information and it's quite daunting, um, you know, when you first get delivered this as, as a parent, you're trying to understand all of this. And so my biggest fear was I didn't want to spend William's first year um, whilst I was on maternity leave at home with him, just being so fearful that the worst was going to happen. Um, and I, yeah, and I kind of had to allow myself that real dark couple of days of digging deep about being, I'm not, I need to change my perspective here. And I think that's something I'll speak about a lot. Um, and how am I going to do that? Because I don't want to live in fear. I want to live in hope and I want to live fighting this thing with my little one and making sure, you know, I'm ahead of him with everything so that I can be strong for him. Um, and I, I did that in various ways. Um, but I did found myself with all the information. Now, different people go to different places. When we're in this, um, this sort of traumatic place of being out of control, I would call it, because it was just not in my control. Um, you know, the places we go during those uncertain times are, you know, stress, overwhelm, anxiety, worry. Um, and I was just like, okay, I need to kind of get a grip of this. So I dived into... Um, educating myself on on this situation and 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 this condition um, other people might not want to know because it's scary but I wanted to know everything um, and I reached out to communities and other moms and I did research and found loads of online communities that's amazing support groups amazing right and it 
apps when you have this condition. Um, you know, somebody in America, mom in America reached out to me and I found her on Instagram um, through this support group. And I, and I just made a comment on one of her photographs and I said, look, your update has really given me a lot of um, hope. So thank you for sharing. And she reached out straight away. We've become friends. We've never met. Um, her little boy's ahead and has overcome all of this, but she's just really always been there for me every single step of the way. And isn't that incredible? And I think if I had just like buried my head in the sand and allowed myself to just be depressed about it for too long, I wouldn't have just opened up this world of support. Mm. Um, so that's, that's one thing um, I did, but yeah. Uh, you know, Deb, it, it, it's been, you know, a lot of the time when we're living in a state of fear, you know, you can break the word down into fear. You can face everything and recover, or you can fuck everything and run. Right. And a lot of people, they want to run when they're on fear, or they, you know, you obviously, you know, positively turned the, your fear into hope. But usually what lies on the other side of hope is fear. So your motivator actually was to educate yourself and support yourself and have something to fall back on. And that's always very important. And for the people that are listening, you know, no matter what you're going through in life, whether it's a child who's got a challenging illness, whether it's a breakup, whether it's a challenging time at work, whatever that may be, you need something. You need support and you need to gain as much information as possible in order for you to make the best decisions. Because let me just explain something to you, Debs, and, and, you know, maybe we can go back a little bit further into why you had that kind of mindset to direct yourself in that direction. But a lot of the time, think of yourself as you have two different brains. You have a feeling brain, you have a thinking brain. And your feeling brain is very different to your thinking brain. And your thinking brain is now operating in a state of fear. You worried about William. You worried about what's going to happen. You worried about his care. You wor- you're just in the state of worrying. But yet your body still feels okay. You still feel fit, healthy, fine, not too anxious. But the mind will lie to you. And the body will never lie to you. And when you're in the state of distress let's refer to it as distress or or stress or dis-ease which we could even refer to it as disease internal disease we we always think with our brains and our brains lie to us they tell us something which is based on our past experiences our past pains our past traumas but when you can just rely on how does my body feel Yes, I've got a situation with my child, but my body feels okay. Okay, maybe I should exercise more. Maybe I should eat better. Maybe I should sleep more. My body still feels fine. And when people and working with people that are dealing with trauma or who've been through a traumatic experience, I always say tap into how your body feels because those are the facts. Because the threat is the, the threat is a reality which you're trying to create which is lying to you so so tell me tell me Debs how did you just give me a little back give give us you know I'm loving this conversation by the way and um, just give us a little bit of background and how you were able to kind of switch yourself into okay I need support I need to educate myself I need to know exactly what's out there, connect with other people. What drove you to do that? 
So it's actually goes right back to, I have to give credit to my father and how he brought me up. Because one thing he always really instilled in me was in life, no matter what happens, you always have a choice. And oh, yeah. when circumstances come upon you that are, are, are sort of out of your control in particular, you can't control those things, but you can control your response. And so even when I was in hospital with help syndrome with William before he was born, which is, which is a, a very sort of dangerous pregnancy complication um, with, with, you know, quite a high percentage of, of death rates for both mom or baby or either one. And that was a month in hospital, <laughs> just fighting that. And he was born prematurely and we both got over there and I could speak about that for hours, just the mental sheer determination of overcoming lying in hospital for a month being monitored every three hours, 24 hours a day. We can't give you any answers. We just need to try to get this baby big enough so we can deliver the baby. That's the only cure. And um, it was always, uh, you know, and, and the ward was in lockdown at the hospital because it was a norovirus. And so nobody could come in and out except for William's dad. So there was no support or relief. Or I couldn't even see my other son who was nine at the time. And so that mentally was the first time that I had in my life gone on this journey where I had to dig deep and I had to start to shift my mindset. And what just kept coming back to me is you have a choice. You have a choice. You so do. what I decided to do is, is there, were, there were women coming and going. Some of them um, with not great outcomes. Some of them, you know, were there for a day or two or for monitoring, whatever. And I decided that even though I was feeling absolutely rubbish, I was going to try to connect with whoever came in and out of that ward um, and just, just be, just chat to them. You know, when people are going through a traumatic time, you just tend to not want to. Open. Of course. Literally. And, and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just give a smile or I'm going to stop by and say, how are you today? Or, you know, um, waddle to the, the, the toast trolley in the morning <laughs> and get my toast and tea and have a chat and make friends. Um, because I'm like, I'm stuck here. I can't change that. But I'm going to make friends while I'm here because nobody can come visit me. And I did. And, you know, the person who I made friends with the most was the lady who came in and did the cleaning every day. She was a phenomenal woman. And I said to her at the end of my stay, and she would tell me stories of other women who, to comfort me, she would say, you know, I know what you're going through is really difficult. She said, but I've seen women coming here for three months, not being able to leave, pregnant with twins, being monitored um, wow. with other little ones at home, you know, and perspective just right there and there is this perspective thing where you think, okay, yeah, I can do this. If that woman could do it, I can do it. But this this lady, I said to her, your job is not just to clean. I said, you have a much bigger job here. I said, you actually come in. And... Yeah, I said, I was stuck in this situation because you've seen it all. And she was just the loveliest lady. And I'll, I'll never forget it. So it's just, you know, having that mindset um, of I can choose how I'm going to see this and I'm going to focus on the positive and then also just deciding that in every morning I'm going to just be grateful for something in my situation what were, what, was, what were some of the things that you did you write them down did you just think about the things you're grateful I I did I've always I've always um written down I, I mean since I was I can't I can't even remember the age I've had diaries and journals and written things down so I did write things down in gratitude every morning sure. I'm grateful that William and I are still okay today you know nothing has changed 
our situation has not got worse. I'm grateful that I've made a new friend, <laughs> you know, whatever the situation wow. is. And sometimes it was little things, but it just changes that mindset. And I had no idea that that was the start of this journey. And that actually my journey with William was going to get a whole lot more difficult. Um, and we'll fast forward to, you know, he did develop pressure on his brain at 16 months which is rare at that age. Um, it became an emergency. It was a big shock. Um, and that's a whole nother journey. And I don't want to jump around, but. I just want to go course. back a little yeah. bit, Des. Yeah, just, just, sure. just, two, just two things. I'm sure you were grateful for Maritzburg College Rugby on a Saturday as well. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and having you talk meant me in class once upon a time. <laughs> We won't bore the we won't bore the listeners on that detail. No, but, um, no. You know, just tell me a little bit about your dad. I always find it fascinating when, when dealing with clients, especially coaching young clients that are at university and and being entrusted to work with somebody's child. I uh, always find it fascinating because I, I you know effectively go into a relationship, a coaching relationship with the parents as well. And I always sure. find it fascinating that the, what kind of parent um, they have been to their child and how supportive they've been and their, their strengths and weaknesses. So just tell, tell us a little bit about your dad and, and the kind of person he is and how he uh, had the insight to share to you as a young age and still in you that you always have a choice. So absolutely. I mean, my dad is a, um, a, a phenomenal person. He's, um, he's, a, he's a church pastor, so he has a very pastoral heart. I grew up um, seeing my dad. Our, our, our house was a revolving door of people coming in with all sorts of, of, of challenges, issues and problems. And he's got the biggest heart, but also I think through the, his line and choice of, of work is calling on his life as I like to, to put it. Um, you know, I think he instilled in me from a very young age that, you know, life is, you know, and which, cause I saw it firsthand, you know, and I was fascinated by, by people, not because I was being nosy, but mm. because I was just grew up in such a happy household. I just thought, oh, how can there be so many problems in this world? Of course, you grow up. But, um, and of course, <laughs> I've gone on that journey myself. Um, but he, he was just, he's just such a strong man in that he's got a big heart he loves people and he just wants to see people succeed and overcome their obstacles and so it was by watching him with other people but then also him instilling that in in me and there was such a triumph and celebration in our home when he helped had helped somebody or supported them through a journey and they had come through the other end and there was a, a, a triumph and so I guess growing up, you just, it's amazing when you are faced with something this big in your life, you go back to that and you draw, draw on that without maybe sometimes even consciously knowing. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, just, I think just, just the fact that my dad dedicated his whole life to helping people um, essentially helped, helped me in a tremendous way and actually was a huge support for me um, and still is. Um, through this journey, you know, just always giving positive sort of 
pep talks, I guess. Um, sure. But one of the biggest things was, you know, like life is going to throw things at you and you have a choice. You actually have a choice. And your decisions also, he used to say to me, that your decisions will determine the outcome. So, you know, if you make good decisions, you'll have good outcomes. If you make bad decisions, there are consequences. I'll never forget those things, you know. Um, uh, yeah, and I witnessed it firsthand in, in other people's journeys as well, I guess. I think we've all made some bad choices, Debs. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we, Jeff? <laughs> but you, you're, so, you're so right, and I, I can relate to that in, in 2014. Um, and for those of you guys who have followed my work and have listened to the podcast will know, know the story, and I, I, won't, I won't distract the interview from uh, the detail of what happened to me, but at my lowest point in my life in 2014, on my hands and knees in my kitchen, I just knew I had a choice. I had a choice that I could go left and left symbolized changing and facing the things that I needed to face and right symbolized just carry on as you are and just ride it out and not improve and not grow. So for those of you who are struggling, whose business is collapsing, whose marriage is falling apart, whose relationship is on, an, on a thread, whatever you may be going through, you have a choice. And a lot of the time, our choices are, we get confused with the right choice because we're not coming from a position of strength. So a lot of people that I work with and I've seen around me, they, how do I explain this? I want to get this, get this across to everyone. They, they say yes when they should be saying no. So the choices that they're making all the time are the wrong choices because they are fearful of a future that hasn't already happened. So they don't want to tell their partner, I don't like the way you speak to me. I don't want to do that on the weekend because they're scared that the partner might turn around and say, well, I don't want to be with you anymore. So people start living in a state of lack. They start living in a state of their worst version of themselves. So whatever you're going through in life, remember you have a choice, but understand very clearly that when you are trying to make a choice, Tap into how your body feels. How does my body feel? What choice does my body want to make? Does my body want to be in this relationship? Does my body want to change my business? Does my body want to change my relationship with my parents? What is your body telling you? Because, and a lot of people disagree with me, and, and that's okay. I don't, I'm not expecting everyone to believe what I'm saying or, or to take my word as fact. But as far as I'm concerned, you make every single decision with your heart. Heart first, head second, because the head will lie to you. And I, do, I see this a lot with entrepreneurs that I work with. They only play out one scenario, and that scenario is usually based on fear. And that scenario has also been created from what's in their head. So you have a choice, my friends. You have a choice. As Debbie's confirmed, you have a choice. And everything in life is about perspective, as you can hear. Debbie's done it. She shifted. So well done, Debs. Thanks, Simon. It's a constant thing, though, isn't it? Like, you know, you and you do have those days. And I think that's okay to allow yourself to have a day. But as long as a day when you have that choice, um, that 
what's so important and I think because we're only human is to then just start again the next day and be like okay so I didn't have a good day but that doesn't mean you know I have to continue this way because I don't want to act like I've got it all together most of the time I do but sometimes it all falls apart Um, and that's okay as well to just be vulnerable enough to say you know and I've learned I'm somebody who wants to just help everyone else and I don't want to be helped. And that's also on this journey. I've had to learn the hard way um, that no, 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 you need help too. And you need to reach out. And that's been the biggest shift for me as well, is that I can't always be strong and help everyone else. Sometimes I need help and vulnerability is another key thing um, in that journey. Totally. Tell me how this impacted your son and your partner. So, so are you talking, referring to my oldest son, Oliver? Yes. How did it affect yeah. him? I mean, his mom was in hospital, his brothers yeah. like, got challenges. How did he cope? So uh, Oliver, Oliver is, um, he's, uh, he, he's incredibly resilient. Um, and he, as long as he gets updates and he knows everything's going to be fine, he's, he kind of goes about his way. I guess that's a child's mentality and what they can process um and what they they can't process um but it it, I guess I struggled more just feeling that pull between having so much time and attention and and effort put into William because he needed it more that constant parent guilt thing um I just found that every now and again I just needed to take a day out of just spending time with Oliver because that was when I realized he would open up to me more and you know, we could connect, but he, he, he was all right. Um, I think from a relationship standpoint, um, it does put a lot of strain on your relationship when you go through something like this, especially when you've gone through, um, a high risk pregnancy, a premature baby. Um, and, and by the way, um, because of this condition that William has, he wakes up multiple times a night to this day, three and four months, uh, he wakes up six, seven times a night. Wow. So sleep deprivation is... <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say, I've had to dig deep, right? Sleep deprivation is just, yeah, I mean, any parent, anyone knows it's not great. And we're still there. Um, it did affect my, my relationship. I think any relationship that's incredibly strong um, that goes through these things will will survive. But I think when there are maybe underlying um, problems in a relationship of maybe not being fully compatible, um, you go through something like this and you'll weather the storm for a very long time, probably closing down more and more in your relationship, which is what happened with 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 myself and and William's dad and I'll just be very honest about that you know that that uh was I can't I can't say that it was exactly what contributed to it but I do think that it's you know when you are as humans you're going into this like state of just trying to weather this storm and figure it all out good at is is supporting William together and that's to this day never be, never been an issue we co-parents um but we did actually split up when William um had come out of his big operation which he was 16 months and we split up probably four months after that um and that wasn't it wasn't uh, dramatic it wasn't this awful thing it was a decision we both made um, but we decided that we would continue to really support William and co-parent. And in fact, we live within walking distance of each other. 
And that's amazing. Well, I think we needed time to process everything as well, you know, apart. Because when you're going through something like one thing after the next um, with William since he was born, we just needed to focus on us. Um, and we felt like we weren't able to do that together. And that's a very heart-wrenching decision because you feel, are we failing William because he needs us together? But actually, we were failing him at that point staying together. And in hindsight, when we look back, that was such a good decision because we both could then also make sure that we were focusing on ourselves to be the best version of ourselves to support our son through this. And it sounds crazy and people think, oh, how do you do it? Because, but we do what we works for us as a family and we're still a family, even though we're not together in a romantic way. Modern day family. (laughs) It's a a modern day family. And I'm very grateful (laughs) that, that it's, it's, that he's got such a fantastic dad. I mean, I, 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 you know, I think it's really important to speak very highly about that. But we shared the situation one night on one night off with William because we because of the sleep deprivation. <laughs> and, he, you know, and it just works for us. Um, but yeah, and Dev, can, I, can, I, can I ask you a question? And did you find, you know, a lot of the time when um, I've seen this a few times when when there's a crisis with a family member or a child, it actually sometimes reconnects the relationship with two yes. people. And I did you did. find that 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 it that it that it didn't do that for you guys? You you were consciously ready to depart from each other, and it didn't Correct. make you closer. Correct. It it didn't make us closer when we were together because I think we were both so exhausted and struggling. You know, um, we we deal with things very very differently, and of course everybody's different. So when you've got two people who are dealing with a situation in our own ways, which were completely different ways we were struggling to connect together in that but when we allowed ourselves that space to go our separate ways um you know we've become so much stronger as a team for william having made that decision and it's not i don't speak about it lightly it is it is heartbreaking because you feel guilty don't you when you when you any relationship breaks up and there's kids involved especially one who's got special needs um so, but but it was a good decision. But yes, you were right. I think um, you either pull together, and I really strongly believe that that's quite often when a relationship has two people have the same. I, I don't know if energy is the, the the way that they deal with things are similar, or they can alignment. Each other. Alignment. That's it. You know, I think I think different. we both know people, and we both over the years have obviously seen people that stay together for the sake of the kids and I have a big problem with that um, because it's the wrong reasons to stay together because the children and then you know I've seen uh, an incident recently not an incident but a a relationship fall apart you know 50 years of a marriage and the marriage has fallen apart and the devastation that causes the ripple effect, the family dynamics, the hurt, the pain, the financial implications of diluting assets at such a old, such a mature age, uh, and I see people they stay they've stayed together till the kids finish school or finish university and then they split up, and I just think to myself, how much time have you sacrificed 
right. for the potential of yeah. meeting the person that's more aligned with you. And I have this yeah. quote that when a relationship breaks down, and doesn't work out. It's really nothing personal. You're just not suited. I love that. I've heard and you say that. I absolutely love that. And people just take it so personally when a relationship breaks down. They think that they're useless, they're not good enough, or they've sacrificed themselves for the kids. And I just think people are resilient. Kids are resilient. Rather have two parents that are happy. Rather have two parents that are in loving relationships, relationships that give them the, the opportunity and the container to enhance and grow as an individual, then be in a relationship where you're not aligned, you're not suited, and you quite frankly irritate the shit out of each other. Well, this is it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but you're so right. It's about being happy. And I think, you know, children want to see their parents happy. And through all of this whole journey that we've been on, you know, it's, even more important to really also focus on the self-love thing that we everybody talks about so much and so important is like I've really had to also look after myself um and 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 that might sound selfish but part of that decision to walk away um was looking after myself and and him looking after himself because we can be stronger for William yeah because because ultimately you know you you want you want to do the best with your child. You want to be the best version of of yourself for your family. Absolutely. And if that person that you're with is not providing that platform for you to be the best version of yourself and to grow and to you know find your real purpose in 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 being the best version of yourself, then you have to ask yourself some very tough questions. Um, some people get to that point and then their relationship recalibrates and then they have another beautiful chapter together. But relationships are constantly changing. And I think people that are listening to this podcast that are in a tough time with their relationship, I'm going to say something now and I hope it really resonates with you. Things, people change, relationships change like the world. There's a season, there's a summer season, winter season, spring season, autumn season. It's Life is about seasons. You have a good season with business, you have a bad season with business. And relationships also go through seasons. And I think it's important that as couples, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're married, you've got to constantly be questioning, how can I update the software of this relationship? my couple's software, how can we enhance that? Because I'm sure we've all been in this place where we've had the same arguments we've had for 10 years. We've had the same disagreements we've had for five years. So the pattern of behavior keeps repeating, but the characters in the pattern have changed. So constantly assessing how can we upgrade our software as a couple? How can we use this relationship to enhance us to grow as individuals and using the container of the relationship to provide the platform for that? So always looking, but it's very difficult because we can live in a state of being triggered all the time. No one likes to be told what they're not doing enough of or what they should be doing more of. <laughs> so if you are interested and inquisitive to upgrade the software of your relationship, Get support. 
Get a, get a person that can give you non-passenger advice. Go and work on yourself. Because often relationships break down because the person in the relationship is having an internal crisis. The relationship's got nothing to do with it. The individual's having a midlife or, you know, often affairs are not about the relationship. It's about the person in the relationship. So I hope that, I hope that really sits with people that are listening that constantly looking to upgrade the software in your relationship is so it's such a beautiful thing because it's you consciously being so honest with each other as well about what's serving you and what's not serving you so i hope that sits yeah that's that's really really powerful and um i i have to say i've heard you speak about that and i've drawn a lot of strength from that in in some of your previous podcasts and updates because it is just so true um and I, I can honestly you know testify to that um that you yeah you can't stay together for the kids and if you either work on your relationship and you like you say update the software or you make a really tough decision but mm. it's the right one um to go your separate ways no one likes being dumped <laughs> no. <laughs> no one likes likes the boot so for those of you who've, who've been on the receiving end of being dumped, uh, just realize it's really nothing personal. You're just not suited. And I'm sure that'll give you a lot more, a lot of comfort. So tell me about your chapter now where you're at with William and his progression and how you're managing that. Are you using the same tactics and tools as you did when you were in a hospital room and fearful and trying to make friends with the staff? Where are you at now? So... Yeah, so what actually transpired um, was William is under the care of um, a fantastic children's hospital here in, in the UK, um, in Oxford. And he has a team of doctors that will look after him. The disciplinary team, so you know, you've got neurosurgeons, plastic surgeons, um, eye doctors, speech and language, psychologists. They'll look after him right till he's 18. So again, he has just fantastic, right? How How amazing is that? And it's just... So comforting, but we went on this journey of one of his routine uh, appointments at 16 months, um, just before lockdown, the first COVID lockdown. And he had developed severe pressure on his brain. And actually, as a mum, I knew that from the November. This is now in like the February. And I'd taken him for an out of routine appointment. Again, it's that intuition, that gut feeling. Yeah. Um, his behavior had changed. And I think we always need to tap into our gut feel and that intuition is, is just a fantastic uh, blessing in life. But I'd, I'd known something wasn't quite right with him. Um, and they checked him over in November without doing the eye test. And they said, no, no, he seems all right. Just keep going. It's fine. And then we had his um, update in February, the full appointment. And they did this eye test where they could look at the optic nerve at the back of the eye. And it was, I know as a parent, you can look at the screen and it should be completely round. And it was completely jagged in both eyes, which is a sign of significant pressure. And um, the, the, the color drained out of the um, op ophthalmologist's face. And I said, this is not something you see very often, is it? And it's not good. And he said, I, I, I don't want to comment. I just need to go back to, to the neurosurgeon, the plastic surgeon. And it just unraveled that we were supposed to be there for a couple of hours. And we spent the day at that hospital having various tests. And, and it was confirmed that, yes, William had developed pressure. 
Um, and so in a way, it was almost relief. I know that sounds ridiculous, but when you are watching your child for the potential outcome of the worst case scenario of this condition is that they'll develop pressure before they get to the age of three, by which time they've normally had this operation anyway, it's almost like, and when you think as a parent, you know that there's something not right with your child. The first feeling was before the, the shock and worry and all of this thing about what's going to unravel was relief. Okay, mm. so I'm right. He does have something that's not right. Um, and it, it also took this waiting game out of our hands because you're on this constant waiting, um, I guess, journey of knowing your child has to go through this operation which is you know eight to nine hours long um wow it's, it's major it's removing the whole skull um sorry if anybody's sensitive i won't make it too too gory no you, you carry whole, on you carry on you tell her how it is it's literally a plastic surgeon removing William's skull and exposing the brain whilst the neurosurgeon looks after his brain for those hours that the plastic surgeon needs to cut his skull up into puzzle pieces and re then take the skull and reposition it back onto to William's, you know, brain between the, the membrane and the brain. Um, it is phenomenal you cannot understand how I have so much respect for these, these surgeons that they can do this, but it's an eight hour operation. Um, and there's, there's high risks associated with it, mostly sort of stroke or bleeding. Um, but it's life saving. And so it's kind of like, you know, your child has to go. And with an emergency, again, I had a choice of being angry. I told you in November, there was something wrong with him. Why didn't you do something then? Or, trusting the process and being like do you know what i did what i felt was right at the time for whatever reason that wasn't taken forward but it is being taken forward now and it's out of our control now now it just has to get done and we don't have to wait months and know that it's coming it's just going to be done within a week or so we're in hospital and this needs to happen and just always trying to look at the positives through that journey but when when william had his operation um, the whole hospital went into lockdown. It was it was the first week of, of COVID hitting when everybody was unsure of what is going on. And throughout that hospital stay and what proceeded after seeing your child in this vulnerable position, um, having a, a zigzag scar from ear to ear wow. um, <laughs> over his head, <laughs> um, which is actually pretty cool now. And I, I really want him to be proud of that. You know, I think it's just... <laughs> So cool the stories you can tell with that one um but to see your child in this position and then you've got it and through that i just kept the same mentality of looking for the positives which were i know it's terrible the hospitals in lockdown but they cancelled most appointments so we had one-on-one -on -one attention when he was in the uh, uh, high intensity care unit he had a, a, a doctor and two nurses just dedicated to him because it, it was empty they had to cancel all other operations except for this major emergency um you know we we were looked after so well and and even little things like 
you know, every day you would go to the little sort of tea place where you, as parents you could go make a cup of tea and I'd be making a cup of tea and I got chatting with another mum and eventually after a couple of days you say, you know, how's your child doing and et cetera and, um, and, and what is your child in for? And she asked me first and I explained and she was so empathetic and I think a parent who goes through anything like that with another parent, you have this understanding. Of course. And I said, how, how about your little girl, you know, who was five? And she said, oh, um, she had a, a cancerous tumor removed when she was three and she was in remission um, and it's come back very aggressively. And when I talk about, I, I still actually get emotional when I think and I talk about this because right there in that room was perspective. You know, my child was going to recover and make a full recovery. But he's going to be okay. And she didn't know whether her child was going to be okay or not. She was waiting for some results to still come back. And you just think, wow, you know? there's always perspective to be had in everything. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, perspective helps support your mindset. And I, and I think also people that are living in a space of being entitled are really sad people and people that, that operate in a grateful space are, are happy people. Yeah. And they, it is all about perspective. There is someone out there suffering more than you are suffering. There is someone out there that is struggling with their relationship, with their business, with their body. There's always someone worse off. And I think people have a lack of compassion. They have a lack of care and understanding. And people are selfish. And like it or not, the majority of human beings that we know actually don't really give a fuck. Yeah. They don't actually care. And, you know, when you can realize that no one actually really cares, you don't take things so personally. Um, and I just think people need to operate more in a place of love, care, and compassion, meeting someone else where they're at. What can you do to support that person? I mean, imagine how that mom must, must feel, you know, she's, it's touch and go and, and you know, the outcome is going to be positive. Yes, still difficult, but the outcome is still positive for you. Um, absolutely. And people, yes, carry on no and, and you know and it just that just continues right because that that love care and compassion thing that you talk about because through this experience with William we actually found out a few months ago that he's still got pressure in his brain not not entirely a shock or surprise because he still doesn't sleep and the way pressure works is it it, it increases during the day and it's at a, its peak at night so he's very restless at night waking up a lot needing a lot of or distressed but just needing a lot of settling and um so we're now going through a process where he needs to have pressure monitoring and it's been cancelled a couple of times first we got covid then he got chicken pox um so we're in hospital at the end Curveballs. of april <laughs> all the all the time si all the time so we're in hospital with that at the end of april we don't know what the outcome is going to be worst case he has to go through the whole operation again but when i go for these hospital appointments and um, there's always you know in the craniofacial clinic you always see parents at the start of their journey and the fear on their faces and i have become bold and i go up to them and i say to them um you know i talk to them because i i say look 
here's my little boy he's gone through this they are so resilient children bounce back and I tell the story you know or I see a mother sitting um only one parent can sometimes go in now because of COVID and I see the other parents sitting with with tears in their eyes in the waiting room and I don't hold back now to go and speak to these parents and uh, people might think I'm crazy but I not one of them has turned around and said it's none of your business they they cannot soak up you know me sharing that I've been on that journey and this is my journey and this is how amazing children are and it's going to be okay um because we just tend to as humans particularly in the UK I think it's the British culture where we we don't interfere or you know very private very private and I just think do you know what um I if I see somebody suffering and I know the journey that they're about to go on and they have all these questions people that have helped me that's how I've got through by by like I say these friends that I've made along the way have gone through it already and walked the road and so yeah I'll go up to people and I'll say you know it's gonna be okay um you know this is yeah because I think that's, that's so fan- true. That's fantastic, Debs. You know what I'm going to say? I'm, I think you should start a support group. Yeah, I think I probably should, you know. <laughs> I think you're very, very well qualified. And yeah, I, know, um, sure. I think even if it's one person, another person, you can give people huge insights. So um, why not? I mean, you're doing it anyway. And I think it's uh, showing your perspective about how you've managed yourself through this process and what's to come and what's to expect information and advice like that is invaluable for somebody you could you can free people from suffering and save people from from spending months maybe years of suffering with just giving them some perspective about what actually is are the real facts and it's going to be okay yeah absolutely no, so I when are you starting agree. the support group, Debs? <laughs> <laughs> I really need to. I do. I really need to. It's, uh, it's so that's that's my that's my challenge to you. I'd like to challenge you to be of service to people out there that are going through something similar that you've experienced, and be of support. And who knows? Maybe you'll be doing a podcast on it. You never know. You never know. Or, or writing a book. <laughs> so Debs, one thing I just I just want to as we draw as we draw to the close of our podcast, I think it's important to mention uh, you've been really well supported with your work. Your company has really supported you very well. And um, before I pass on to you and you just you know you 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 kind of dive into detail of how they supported you. Companies out there, organisations, big businesses, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, you're dealing with humans. You're not dealing with machines. There needs to be more support, more care, more compassion. And it doesn't have to be in the form of paying for coaches or getting fancy speakers in. Just listen to your team. Listen to your staff member. Listen to the person that sits next to you all day and see how they're doing. Start listening more. For those of you who are entrepreneurs or work in companies, Listen more because you don't know what the person next to you is going through. But for those of you who don't know, Debs works for Peloton. And just tell us how they've supported you. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, I actually posted on my LinkedIn not so long ago just to give thanks to the organizations that I've worked with. Even when I was pregnant, I wasn't working for Peloton at the time, but just the leaders who have supported me and my teammates. And I lead with that same mentality because you're so right. You know, work and life, they are connected. And when you listen to what people are going through, you support what they're going through outside of, you know, the day-to-day job that they have. Um, you really build a much stronger team and a trust and you, you can guarantee they're going to come back from their hard time stronger and want to work and be more committed. That's certainly what happened to me. And Peloton um, were fantastic in that um, they, it was no questions about how much time I needed off, which is phenomenal. They didn't want me to take it from my annual leave because they said, you're going to be exhausted. You're going to need that annual leave. Um, Deb, take the time you need, you know, this is, this is huge. Not, not every day, you know, you go through something like this with the, and, um, and, and I was just always given so much love and care and even sending me flowers and sending gifts for William or checking up on me. And when I wanted to come back to work, obviously, um, anyone knows the Peloton story. It just went absolutely nuts during lockdown because everybody wanted to exercise at home. And I was actually leading the, the, the support operations at the time. And to the point that they desperately needed me back and unbeknown to me, because I'd been in this lockdown world and hospital with my child and come out of hospital a week later, I went back to, to my, my um, direct leader and I said, I'm ready to come back. And he said, I don't think you should come back now. He said, it's, it's a different world and I'm not going to go into detail, but I want you to take another week off because when you do come back, it's going to be relentless. And of course, that made me want to come back even more because I have major fear of, of missing out, especially work. I absolutely love my career. And, uh, but I took that advice and I took another week off and I'm so glad I did because when I came back, yeah, it was absolutely crazy. But how amazing. And, you know, throughout that journey, if I've had to go for appointments or, and then there's always asking if I'm okay, could I keep them updated? How is William? Just fantastic. Beautiful. And I can tell you what, I work so much harder because of it. I'm so committed and I lead the same way with my team, you know, because I've seen the beauty of, of leading with that mindset. You know, Debs, it, it, it's, it's so nice to hear that, you know, there's companies out there that are not just focused on bottom line, they're focused on the human line and meeting their staff where they're at and supporting people with, with real kindness and care, not about, what's the bottom line at the end of the month yes that's important it plays a role but that's so wonderful and, and and companies that have adopted that kind of philosophy are companies that will continually grow and continue to have people that give them more than they should and it's just wonderful to hear that 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 is that is around and there's a culture of that so yes it may be quite small at the moment but i'm sure it will expand over time and those companies will survive those companies will grow and i see that with with companies that I work with, as well as uh, entrepreneurs that I'm working with, when they're focusing on what's right for the staff, what can I do for the staff? I worked for the staff. How can I help my team better? You get a very different outcome and you get a better working environment. Everything else becomes better because love, care, and compassion. Absolutely. So Debs, I want to thank you for your time. It's been wonderful, but most importantly, your vulnerability and being so honest. Uh, I applaud you and well done to you. 
and wishing you all the best and sending you lots of strength and love and support with William. And uh, my challenge to you is to start a support group. You've already done the training. Now you just need to start sharing. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, Sai. I really appreciate it. And thank you for inviting me to share today. It's been great. And just as we wrap up, guys, it's, it's so nice to, to just connect with real people, real problems, real challenges, and real results and how people are really resilient. So um, I'm looking forward to hopefully doing more of this. For those of you who would like to share your story or would like to connect with me, simonschmid.co. And uh, please, if you can like, comment, write a review on the podcast, it all helps. And let's shift some lives together. So Debs, have a beautiful day. To the listeners, thank you for your support. Lots of love. I'm out.